to the extent that is the American Bar Association Business Law Section's podcast series. Our podcasts provide general information. They aren't a substitute for legal advice from a licensed professional. We offer both standalone and serial podcasts on a variety of topics and welcome your feedback and suggestions at ababusinesslaw.americanbar.org. We hope you enjoy your selection. This is Rick Pesch, and I am content guy for the business law section. And I welcome you to our podcast platform to the extent that and the series Business Law Leaders. And today's episode, a view of an international lawyer, Tom Moranti and the legal profession in a global world. Our host is Shazia Ahmed, Vice President of Regulatory Reporting at Wells Fargo. Shazia joined the ABA as a law student liaison and now is the co-chair of the Young Lawyer Committee of the Business Law Section. Shazia, I will let you introduce our guest. Hi, everybody. Welcome. I'm going to be introducing Tom Moranti. For more than 30 years, Tom Moranti has counseled clients in the U.S. and foreign insurance regulatory compliance and transactional matters. Tom's clients rely on him for navigating them through increasingly complex global regulatory and technology-driven environments. He counsels people within the U.S. and outside the U.S. Tom leads Carlton Fields' international insurance regulatory team and co-chairs the Mexico desk. He also chairs the ABA Business Law Section's International Coordinating Committee and serves as a member of the ABA UN Representative Committee. Welcome, Tom. How are you? Thanks, Shazia. Great to be here. And it's wonderful to be addressing all of the ABA members who are listening in to the podcast today, particularly as we discuss topics, themes, and the interests that we all have in what is fast becoming really a global practice. Um, not only is it in the context of dispute resolution, but also in the regulatory schemes that we're all dealing with on, a, on an ongoing basis. So it's great to be here, and it's wonderful to be chatting with you today. So, Tom, I wanted to kind of start off first about how did you get into the work of international scope, not just within the U.S., but outside the U.S.? What drove you to that, and how has that really defined your career? You know, growing up as an Italian-American kid in New York, uh, with both of the grandparents coming over from southern Italy, from Naples, um, I had a familiarity with another culture as a young child. Um, not only did that include copious portions of lasagna and meatballs, um, but also an introduction to learning how to play the accordion at an early age and appreciating uh, the Italian language that my grandparents spoke around the house when they visited. So <clears throat> as a youngster, I kind of had a keen sense of the fact that we were not just in New York, but that there was a world out there. And I took an interest in trying to understand what my grandfather was talking about as he would regale us with stories of the old country. And, and I found that to be fascinating. When I was in elementary school, we had an opportunity to, um, to learn the basics of a foreign language. And the choices were French or Spanish. And in my case, I opted for Spanish, New York being a particularly bilingual uh, community, especially in New York City. And um, we learned how to count. We learned the colors. And we learned a few nouns along the way. But I had an interest in Spanish and Italian languages from a very young age. And of course, this cultural mix that embodies New York and so many great cities in the United States um, 
kind of prompted me to have an interest in things international from a very early age. And so when I was in high school, I continued my interest in all things related to modern languages. And in particular, I took an interest in Latin America. I had a lot of friends from various Latin American countries that I grew up with, um, a number of friends from Puerto Rico as well. And so my interest was piqued by essentially communicating in a foreign language, but also learning about these other cultures. So early on, I had that sort of a framework. And by the time I got to college, um, some back in the old days, some schools had a language requirement. And my undergraduate school, Union College in Schenectady, actually had a language requirement. And so I took the test that would ultimately enable me to opt out of the language requirement, did not succeed in opting out, and then embraced the language uh, completely. And so I learned to speak Spanish through courses and through study abroad programs. And it was the study abroad programs to Bogota, Colombia, and Seville, Spain. And my interest in the cultures and the literature and the food and the wine and, and the fantastic people that I met on those study abroad programs that really enabled me to recognize that my focus was going to be international no matter what it was, uh, whether it was the law or something in business or perhaps diplomacy or perhaps journalism, I knew I was going to move in that direction. And so that's how it sort of evolved. And of course, learning to play the accordion and picking up on lots of songs that were essentially native to various foreign countries uh, kept me interested in the world in a musical context as well. So I know that's a long way of describing what sort of motivated me to study the issues that would be relevant to an international law practitioner when I went to law school, but that's how I got there. That sounds like a whirlwind even before you started practicing. <laughs> so once you had decided that you were going to go to law school, how did you leave New York? So I live in New York now and I can't seem to leave it because I love it too much. How did you transition from law school and then start working outside of New York? Well, leaving New York is a big challenge because when you grow up there, um, New York as that one New Yorker cover from the magazine once depicted New York as occupying most of the United States. I mean, it is larger than life in so many ways. Um, but when I decided to go on to law school, I applied to law schools in the New York area, but also applied to graduate school in the Washington, D.C. area. And um, I was really fortunate to get a scholarship to go to a school of international service at Johns Hopkins in the Washington, D.C. area. So opted to do that uh, because my interest was really very much international and I wanted to understand more about the world, about investment, about business. And so I began to pursue a degree uh, that would have a particular focus on international business. Um, moved to Washington, D.C. as a consequence, found it to be a fantastic city. It had a little bit of New York and then a little bit of the world mixed in. So it was a very satisfying place to live, uh, developed a lot of friends there. And then when I was living in Washington, recognized that my interest was not so much diplomacy as it was business. And maybe the best way to approach business would be to pursue my law degree, at which point I applied to law schools in the Washington, D.C. area was very fortunate to get into a number of schools and opted to go to American University, Washington College of Law. I'm still very connected to the law school. I'm on the Dean's Advisory Council. And it was a marvelous experience. It was a law school that at the time, its campus was on the main campus of American University. So it still had kind of a 
I can't say a small school or a small college feel, but it had that sort of a, of a wonderful sort of environment in which to study law. And it had, although not a lot of international programs at the time, uh, a fair number of the ones that interested me, in particular multinational corporations and international tax. And so I found a home in law school in Washington, D.C. And once I got sort of immersed in D.C. with the government being there, with all of the international organizations, and with an incredibly robust uh, curriculum at the law school, it was very hard to leave Washington, D.C. So I finished my law degree there um, and then decided that for a career move, jumping right into international law wouldn't necessarily make sense. You need to sort of I think as somebody who has been doing this his entire career, you really need to have a framework in some practice areas that you can then apply in an international context. And for me, I saw dispute resolution, arbitration, and litigation as very relevant to doing international business, which was the end game for me at the time. And so I went to work with a small boutique litigation firm cut my teeth on some trials, did a lot of trial preparation, um, and recognized that it was a great background. I recommend it to anybody looking to get into a more corporate business environment as an attorney, and it sort of helped pave the way for me, um, but it wasn't really where I wanted my career to move. And so I succeeded with the help of a law professor at American University Washington College of Law, who was really kind of a mentor in the days when we didn't really use mentoring as an expression, but certainly a guiding light for me, um, who helped me then recognize one approach would be to get an LLM. And I pursued a master of laws at Georgetown, fortunate to get a fellowship, and it was a two-year program. And so I studied international law, both public but essentially private international law, which was a deep dive in corporate and business law and tax law and investment law, which was very relevant to where I thought my career might take me. Investment law in the trade sense, which would include anti-dumping and countervailing duties and subsidies, which then expanded into sanctions and compliance issues in a global context. So I did the LLM program and then thought about where I might take that experience those courses that were near and dear to me as an attorney in the international space with a corporate and dispute resolution background that I sort of already had, uh, both practically from an experiential standpoint and my undergrad law degree, and the language skills and the affinity with having lived uh, as an undergrad, both in Bogota, Colombia and Seville, Spain, and fortunately in law school, doing a semester of law school in Mexico City, where I was able to appreciate uh, investment law and constitutional law and other issues in a foreign country, in Mexico in particular, I thought, why don't I translate all of that in a place in the United States that would facilitate the expansion of a career? And so the options included California, Texas, Arizona, and South Florida. And so I traveled around the country, met attorneys in those states, uh, met folks in different law schools, uh, placement who could sort of facilitate finding a job. And then through the network that I developed, found a very interesting opportunity to move to Miami, Florida, um, where I could utilize my language skills, my background in, in sort of the trade, international trade area and the corporate area, and focus on a lot of the cross-border stuff that in the days when I moved to Miami was really beginning to happen. Miami was 
very early in the process of becoming the gateway to Latin America, which it is very much today. And um, the international practice was growing. And I had a kind of a unique place in a Florida-based law firm that was looking to expand. And that's where I began to sort of develop my skills as an attorney. And the practice took me in the hardcore sense as a corporate lawyer, securities law, um, corporate law, shareholder agreements, employment agreements, licensing agreements, franchising, uh, all of which had an international or a global component with a Latin America focus, as well as inbound and outbound. So you would do business on behalf of U.S. companies seeking to go abroad in Latin America and establish operations. So there'd be investment opportunities abroad, as well as inbound, which became sort of the cornerstone of an international practice in Miami, certainly in the early years, and particularly true today, where you had investors coming into the U.S. And in the late 80s, early 90s, that really took off. Real estate, banking, finance. Today, of course, it's expanded. Uh, digitalization, uh, all of these internet businesses that have sprung up, um, insurtechs, fintechs, um, including real estate in a huge way, um, and the cornerstone of this area in, in Miami in particular, banking and finance. So we had just this influx of investment bankers during those years. And I sort of began to recognize that as much as I love New York and Washington, D.C., and initially after moving to Miami, thought maybe I'd relocate back to those cities where I still had family and a lot of friends. Miami was affording just incredible opportunities. All of South Florida, it wasn't just Miami. It included Fort Lauderdale and, 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 and Tampa and, and West Palm Beach. And these areas were just growing rapidly um, with respect to international business, both inbound and outbound. And the law firms were embracing this. Um, and so I sort of then began to develop a foothold, began to find some clients who had an interest in domestic as well as foreign work. So you had to sort of be a little bit more broadly based in your practice. Nothing was, it couldn't be exclusively international uh, because you also would develop clients who would have domestic needs, which would then expand eventually into international things, including raising funds for their operations. So I focused a little bit on corporate and securities law and M&A deals. And that background expanded globally, uh, initially, as I explained, Latin America, but eventually European companies began to see Miami as it was becoming the gateway to Latin America as the jumping off point to Latin America. So clients began to come to the U.S. and particular found Miami as a unique place. We become more bilingual over time in the city. There are more and more attorneys flocking to this area. And then there was an influx of what we used to call out-of-state law firms, and that really began this incredible opportunity for attorneys with an international focus here in the city because the law firms that emigrated to Miami, they were national firms. Today, you'd look at them in their Amlaw 100, Amlaw 200 firms, and then lots of boutiques as well um, began to see the importance of expanding their practice to include Latin America, as well as obviously Europe, eventually certain countries in Africa, and today, even more so, a focus on Asia with the influence that China has in the Americas, um, we begin to see more and more of an interest in a practice that also encompasses and embraces companies that are based in Asian, various Asian countries. So that's a long-winded way 
of explaining how I got to where I am. It doesn't necessarily tell you everything that you might need to know about what a practice would entail, but it gets me sort of current in in respect of, of my my existing my existing practice and and where I envision um, international law headed and the ways in which attorneys that have an interest in in things international, regardless of where they might be located in this country or abroad, how they might begin to develop that practice. Because there are a number of key things, as you already know, given your background and your banking expertise, um, will be relevant as careers begin to develop in this context. That sounds like an amazing way to transition away from these two big cities of New York to D.C. to Miami, which is a growing city. I find it very interesting that your international work has had such a pivotal part within your growth and development within the legal career. I wanted to ask you and kind of to delve into a little more detail about the technology-driven environment, because as everything is evolving at this point with technology and GDPR coming up in Europe, and now we have the California Protection Act, how is this affecting your field? Because technology is such a key driver, especially during the pandemic, and how our lives have changed. There's been this massive paradigm shift that we've seen where I remember when I worked, working from home one day a week was kind of frowned upon. And now working from home is the way that everybody wants to go and where we want to transition to. So I wanted to get your kind of background and information on how do you think that this technology-driven changes are really going to impact privacy? It's a very interesting question, and it's one that I think we're all sort of wrestling with today. Um, The pandemic has changed really the nature of business and certainly the nature of the law profession. Uh, And we have seen this evolution. It was beginning prior to the pandemic, but it certainly accelerated very quickly as as everybody in various fields uh, that would have an interest in international already recognizes. So the career of international law embraces a lot of different pieces. I talked early on here about the language skills and developing an affinity with the cultural aspects that ultimately underlie an international career in in the law. Um, But it also requires a focus on an industry. And early in my career, uh, you know, you kind of view yourself as a renaissance person. You sense that you can be a jack of all trades. But specialization creeps into our profession and our careers at a very early stage. And this enhanced focus on specialization becomes really relevant in the international world, particularly for attorneys, because we are marketing those services and we're affording um, those uh, practice practice important areas that, that I have kind of begun to focus on over the last, say, decade, 15 years, perhaps. Um, and we'll, we'll catch up to this, what's happening in, in, this, in this digital world of, of privacy in a second. But to get to that, we need to recognize that an industry focus sometimes will help you to recognize what that industry needs in order to comply with this expansive and continuously evolving landscape that these companies would be subject to. So this global practice that began to evolve for me initially in the federal securities context with companies looking to raise money to expand their operations abroad or companies coming to the U.S. to take advantage of and gain access to U.S. financial markets, um, that required an appreciation of all of the issues that the business plans of these businesses would encompass. 
as you developed the business plans that could be incorporated into a prospectus, for example, you began to appreciate some of these tangential areas, which maybe did not relate to the immediate business of the industry, whether it was telecommunications or transportation or hospitality or medical services or real estate. You began to sense that for these businesses to be successful, you as an attorney, particularly somebody who focused on regulatory issues like I did, combined with this business background, you needed to appreciate things like data privacy, like like confidentiality, and like the regulatory scheme that would evolve. And Miami immediately got caught up in that in the late 90s and the early 2000s, as data privacy became a particular concern for various industries, in particular, industries that many of the folks listening into this podcast know very well, banking and investment banking, all financial services and insurance and healthcare. Privacy became really critical. That's not just HIPAA in that sense, but it's also the evolution of laws that regulated the operations of these industries. So when you think about banking and the Bank Secrecy Act and the Anti-Money Laundering Act, and you think about businesses that do cross-border trade in the import-export context and how they would become subject to things like sanctions for money laundering or for uh, corruption in the context of um, the Foreign Asset Control Regulations or the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, businesses began to see that these federal laws that were evolving globally, so the OECD corruption laws or money laundering laws that are being embraced by various foreign countries, you began to see what we would see as U.S. practitioners as our regulatory scheme evolving globally. And so an international practitioner embracing the culture, embracing a language, and embracing certainly this regulatory scheme that we know and love in the United States and sensing that it was moving abroad, we could then begin to better appreciate by working in these foreign countries with their laws, with local counsel, how we would better advise clients in respect of these laws that were really becoming cross-cultural. And as you pointed out in the question today, not only do you need to have an appreciation of all of the things that I just mentioned, but because COVID and the pandemic ultimately created this virtual world in which we now operate, which in a sense is evolving now into a hybrid world, which will embrace some of the concepts and principles that that we know as a result of Zoom and Teams and all of the interactions that we have facilitated in this virtual world, which exacerbate the privacy considerations that address um, the way in which businesses must operate. We now begin to sense that when we advise a a company, whether it's an inbound investment or a U.S. or European multinational that has a Florida presence looking to go abroad, looking to go Latin America or Asia, um, we recognize that we can't just look at the regulatory scheme that embraces that industry. We also have to look at this overarching tangential component, which includes things like uh, data privacy, the GDPR being a driving force in that respect. But the GDPR has been embraced not only in the United States, in California, in Virginia, recently in Colorado, uh, and in other states being embraced in New York, for example. But it's also something that is 
very near and dear to the hearts of Latin American countries. And I see it in my practice every day. Uh, Brazil's privacy legislation, which embraces the GDPR, but also benefits from some of the enlightened principles that are embodied in U.S. state privacy laws. And so now you have to be sensitive as an international business lawyer, not only to the environment that your clients operate in wherever they're domiciled, but wherever they intend to expand, the laws now are going to ultimately require additional compliance. And so today's international lawyer has to be willing to not only embrace the laws in the home jurisdiction, but also in the jurisdiction where the expansion is going to take place. And and your question is profound because privacy is so critical. So for example, in the banking or in the insurance context, when we have a client that seeks to do business in a foreign country to expand its operations beyond the US or beyond Europe, um, the realization that with local counsel, we can craft a compliance methodology that accommodates the laws they're subject to at home and the laws they're going to be subject to going abroad, we build a portfolio of legislative norms that they're going to have to deal with. That's the exciting part of being an international attorney. It's, it's not just the fact that I can get together with my attorneys in foreign countries and break out the accordion and grab a glass of wine in Argentina and, and, and we can have fun, but it's also recognizing that collectively we can devise a scheme that facilitates compliance and keeps the clients from getting in trouble. So all of these things become relevant as we move forward, and the pandemic has accelerated the need to, to really understand how this works. That's so key, is really the acceleration and understanding all the changes that are occurring. And as a young lawyer, to me, it's very exciting to see the changes that are occurring and the fact that privacy is becoming at the forefront because it's something that we hadn't really discussed when we first came into the internet stage. And now it's becoming such an evolving part of the law that to me as a young lawyer, it's wonderful to learn about and have a better understanding. So it's great to hear from you about all those details and all the changes that are occurring. My next question to you is a little bit away from your practice and more to the ABA. So to better understand your involvement within the ABF, the International Coordinating Committee, and also the fact that you are an ABA-UN representative committee. So could you give me some more information about that? Because that to me, as one of the reasons I went to law school was to be more involved internationally. And the UN is one part of the world that is helping other nations. And I think that's something interesting to hear from you about. Well, that's a really profound question because we talk about business and we and we look at it in the context of private international law, but there's another element and, and you're correct to, to ask the question, and that's public international law. And that's what the United Nations uh, and its relationship to the American Bar Association affords attorneys who really want to take advantage of their ABA membership. So by way of background, I had a keen interest in business law, so I focused on the business law section, but at the same time focused also on the work of the international law section of the ABA. And there's a tremendous uh, connectivity between the international law section and the business law section, and in particular, the International Business Law Committee and the International Coordinating Committee that I, that I chair for the business law section of the ABA. So the ABA's interest in all things international continues to grow, and we ultimately recognize that many different sections of the ABA, which is why the membership in the ABA is so valid and important going forward, um, appreciates 
the relevance of international law in the context of what we do as a profession. And so the International Coordinating Committee, as its name suggests, it coordinates all of the work of the international section and the International Business Law Committee of the Business Law section um, and helps to sort of enable the both sections to work more closely together. But in particular, the focus of the International Coordinating Committee is the work of the business law section. And so we look at what each of the committees within the section, and there are some 50, 50 substantive committees in the business law section, more than half of them have international subcommittees that touch on international themes or international topics. So a lot of the international work of the business law section itself is driven through these international subcommittees of those substantive committees, banking law, M&A, tax law. And that is relevant because that's how we handle the business work that we do and the education and the content that we provide. The UNR, the United Nations Representatives Committee, is a umbrella organization within the ABA. It embraces people, attorneys, who are members of the various sections within the ABA, not just the business law section and the international law section, but other sections as well. And the United Nations Representatives Committee focuses on the outstanding work of the United Nations, particularly as it relates to things like human rights and social justice and gender equality. And as we look at the programs of the UN, we as a committee, the UNR Committee, um, the United Nations Representatives Committee, um, some 30 or 40 of us, we, we meet regularly several times a month. <clears throat> and we our mandate really is to appreciate what the United Nations is doing. And we have a number of folks who are working at the United Nations who are also members of the UNR Committee. We look at what the UN is doing and ways in which the American Bar Association can better integrate into some of those programs and some of those initiatives and the ABA itself, through its various sections, has a keen interest in things that would be relevant to the United Nations, including trafficking and issues related to the supply chain and human rights and social justice. So the ABA embracing some of these themes that the United Nations has programs that directly address, we can learn more about those programs, find ways that we could collaborate with the United Nations and then bring that back home to the ABA so that we can educate our own ABA members through the various sections on how they can be involved. And so we look to support those various United Nations programs. Some of them are overarching rule of law initiatives. The ABA has an incredible rule of law initiative, ROLI, which is very focused on helping countries develop legislation to accommodate all of these issues, including very specific business law topics that embrace the various things that regulators in foreign countries would need to embrace in order to better regulate the industries that are expanding in those countries. But we also then, through the rule of law initiative, help various countries through their specific bar associations in particular, and also interfacing with government organizations through the various resolutions that the ABA House of Delegates and Board of Governors will eventually review, analyze, and then conceivably embrace and support. We support various initiatives that are global in nature that touch on these different themes that are so relevant as we look at the world in a very expansive 
kind of way, in a very global sort of way, because it isn't just purely business. There are these social issues which are so relevant that we look at through the ABA and through the United Nations. So the question itself is quite beautiful because we then afford an opportunity for people who are members of the American Bar to get involved with the United Nations. And we have a UN day for the ABA. We have people who are liaisons from various ABA committees directly to the United Nations. And so there's a lot of connectivity there. Um, and, and I say that the rule of law initiative is so critical because the rule of law embodies everything we do as an American Bar Association. I think you see that in the work of the various sections. So great question. And, and I'm hopeful that as people begin to take the, the opportunity to really learn more about the committees within their sections and get involved in committee work and leadership through those various committees, they'll see how the various sections interact, how they interface, and how they connect with both governmental agencies and with the United Nations in a global context. Thank you. That's really informative to me as a young lawyer. And I will have to touch base with you, Mr. Maranti, after this mm-hmm. call, because the ABA UN Representatives Committee is something that really is intriguing to me as a young lawyer. And I wanted to go ahead and ask you one last question, more for young lawyers. And that's, what do you recommend for us as we're growing our careers? What is one thing that you've learned in the 30 years of your work so far that you would kind of give us as guidance or advice as a young lawyer? Wow. And we could spend days talking about this because it's so important. And and aging in the profession is actually not a bad thing. Um, Although you'd look at me and you'd say, well, wait a minute, you seem to be holding up despite all the stresses that our profession um, embodies. And that is true. We, we are a very stressful profession. So finding ways to enjoy what you do is obviously very critical, especially to young lawyers trying to balance that. And I think the pandemic is helping law firms appreciate the need to essentially achieve a better work-life balance. That's becoming so relevant now as law firms begin to embrace these different ideas and 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 I think we're getting we're we're beginning to see this more and more now with diversity and, and equity and inclusion um, initiatives that that law firms are embracing as they focus on where they're headed as firms going forward in in this new environment this new hybrid environment. But I do think it's relevant, and your question is a good one because I think three things are critical to the careers that we develop as young lawyers. One is to really become very focused and knowledgeable in respect of a particular practice area. Embrace whether it's litigation dispute resolution or business law or something in between. Embrace that and 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 claim it as your own so that you begin to be recognized as somebody with that degree of expertise. The second thing is embrace also an industry, whether that's hospitality or transportation or education or financial services find an industry that intrigues you, um, that you can become, uh, could be healthcare, that you can become an expert in and really understand the industry because clients now are very demanding that we be specialized, number one, but number two, that we stay ahead of where that industry is headed, not just in a regulatory context, but where it's going from a business perspective. The more we understand the industry, the better prepared we are to appreciate where the industry is going and the better prepared we are then to appreciate where the regulatory scheme is going, that that industry is going to be subjected to 
in the not too distant future. So that's really critical. And the third thing is always to have fun, to interact with other attorneys, not always in an adversarial way, but to see this in a teamwork context. Not always easy because we're often on opposite sides, but to recognize that we bring value to the clients if we can collaborate and collaboration becomes very, very important. And thus that can fuel the reputation of a young lawyer, their ability to work on projects where people perceive that things can get done uh, and clients ultimately like that. And in the course of doing that, of course, to be aware of and cognizant of what DEI means, diversity, equity, and inclusion, because that becomes a cornerstone of what we need to do as we go forward in our profession. And I think those three things um, with this overarching notion that you should have fun and particularly in the international context, traveling abroad, meeting lawyers and clients in foreign countries you have a chance to really do that. And I've had some wonderful experiences in various foreign countries, breaking out our musical instruments and playing and singing until all hours of the night and drinking Pisco Sours in Lima, Peru and um, dark and stormy rum drinks in Bermuda or learning how to use proper Spanish language when you're in Spain because various countries in Latin America have descriptive terms that don't always translate the same way in a foreign country and learning what those words mean when you're traveling abroad and not just to use them without appreciating their meaning. Um, I could tell you stories about that at some point, maybe if we have a follow-up uh, discussion with uh, folks who are interested, happy to do that. But that's my kind of way of, of introducing young lawyers to how they might succeed in developing a career in an international context. Thank you so much. That guidance is really helpful to us as a young lawyer. And I want to thank you for sharing your journey and expertise in the legal profession. And I look forward to you bringing your accordion to the next ABA Business Law Section meeting. I know that Rick has told me never to bring the accordion. He would admonish me if I dared to play Lady of Spain or any of my favorites, Beer Barrel Polka. I promise that I'll only do, do that with his permission. But Rick and Shazi, it's been wonderful to have a chance to share my experiences with everyone on the podcast today. And the American Bar is a wonderful place to develop this type of a career. And I, I've embraced it. And I wholeheartedly recommend that others get involved in the ABA and aspire to leadership positions because you do even more wonderful things for us if you do. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the ABA Business Law Section's podcast series, To the Extent That. The section offers a robust collection of content. To explore more about this topic or to learn about joining the section, visit ambar.org bizlaw. That's B-I-Z-L-A-W.